Well, greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be here again. Brother David, I appreciated that song we sang. I wasn't real familiar with it, but there was a verse that struck me um, as I thought about the message um, and my own, as I thought about the Sunday school lesson this morning and being called to leadership, where does that place us? Verse, the, the, the verse of the song that struck me was um, verse 3. It said, Preserve me from my calling's snare and hide my simple heart above, above the thorns of choking care, the gilded baits of worldly love. Pray for your leadership. I thought about that as, I, as I, we sang that song. With leadership comes other temptations inherent to the job, if you want to say it that way. Same with parents. You know, you can't understand the stress of dealing with children until you have children to deal with. Um, that verse encouraged me because I know that our congregations do pray for leaders. Pray for your leadership. There are challenges that go with it. Thank you. Well, the message this morning is taken from the second half of the first chapter of James. Um, I looked at, oh, it was several months ago, we looked at the first half of the chapter of James, and there's, there's two different temptations talked about in this chapter. Um, James is full of good advice for us. The first half of James 1 gives is talking about trials of life. Hard times. Facing hard times. I would deal with them. And 2020 has been an interesting year. We're facing some very difficult times. I don't think it's, it's difficult in comparison to the history of the church. Sometimes we get pretty caught up in, our, in, our, in the here and now and forget to look back at what's happened in the history of the church. And I think we have a fairly easy in physical discomforts that we face. Um, but how do we face hard times? Well, here, that's when it talks about um, trials and temptations in the first 13 verses, or first 12 verses of James 1. It's talking about trials of life, hard times. Well, verse 13, which is where I'd like to start this morning, it switches. The temptations it's talking about here are sin. So I'd like to go through um, at least part of the of chapter one, starting with verse thirteen, and look at different aspects of the Christian life facing temptation. And the title of the message is "Light in a Dark World." We do live in a very dark world. Um, as you think about the world in general, we are blessed to have to live in a morally stable... No, that's incorrect. Not a morally stable country, but a, a country that 
has a lot of moral values still left in it. Maybe not for long, but um, we, what we do face darkness in the world we live in. Let's start with verse 13, and I'm not going to read um, the whole... I want to read it verse by verse and, and look at it. James 1, verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we see in that verse that he's talking about evil. We're talking about real sin temptation here. So the question comes, does God tempt us? We want to think sometimes that God's tempting us. Well, let me, let's, let's look into that just a little bit. So there's two opposing forces in the world. Pretty much we know we have God and we have Satan. God is truth and light. Satan is lying and darkness. I'd like to go, and this question was brought to me, but it's part of this message. This question was brought to me. Um, someone asked me about this passage that we're going to go to. Like, what's up with that? Because we, we get a glimpse into a spiritual realm and what happened there in this passage. Um, and face value, it does seem like God is tempting someone. Let's look at it. First, uh, First Kings 22, and I want to read verses 1 to 23. 1 Kings 22, verses 1 to 23. And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And this king of Israel is Ahab. Um, and if you would go back before this, there's a lot of history up until this point. Um, Ahab actually, for just prior to this, had repented and God had, God had condemned Ahab. And, and Ahab had repented. God honored his repentance and stayed, the, um, stayed his judgment on Ahab. So... At this point, the king of Judah comes down, or Jehoshaphat comes to, to down to Israel, to Ahab. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, verse 3, Know ye that Ramoth of Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there none here? Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet a man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. 
for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micah the son, Micaiah the son of Imla. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah the son of Chenanah made him horns of iron, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, With these shalt thou push the Syrians until thou have consumed them. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. Okay, we'll stop there a minute. You see a whole 400 men prophesying that these two kings are going to win to the point that they're like using horns to demonstrate what they're going to do to the Syrians. Pretty good peer pressure there, if you want to say so, if you want to think about that, what was actually going on. Okay, verse 13. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king which with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, did not tell you, well, I'm sorry, did I not tell thee that he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. Now did God tempt Ahab? Did God lie? That was the question given to me on this passage. But look at it for what it is. We get a glimpse in the heavenly realm of what goes on in the spiritual world. So God cannot lie. The Bible's clear. God cannot, could not tell those prophets to tell a lie. 
It's not in God's ability to go against his own moral code. He allowed that spirit to do what was of its own nature. He allowed that spirit to deceive. John 8, 44, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your fathers ye will do. This is Jesus speaking. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we see where this spirit came from. You can say, well, it was God talking to his angels, but there was a lie. If, it was, if this spirit wanted to tell a lie, it was of Satan, because he's the father of lies. The lying spirit was the one that deceived the prophets. So why did God allow this spirit to deceive Ahab? God wanted to bring judgment on Ahab for what he was doing, for his wickedness. Let's go back to 1 Kings 21, verse 20. And we'll see why God wanted to bring this, why God was wanting to judge Ahab. 1 Kings 21, 20, And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Was God just in allowing him to be lied to and deceived? I believe he was. God was trying to work in Ahab's life. And Ahab had sold himself to do evil. So did God lie to him? No, he allowed Satan to deceive him. Let's go to verse 14 of James 1. See how this plays out a little more. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. In verse 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. So temptation comes from the lusts within us. Our own earthly, sensual desires. Lust brings sin, which is disobedience to God. Sin produces death, which is separation from God. And I don't know how many of you um, knew the story or found out about the story about Sasha Krauss what happened to her. But that was a modern day story just happened of how a young man who was once associated with the church let sin carry him further and further and further to the point that literally lust brought about sin which brought about death. In that case, he murdered someone else. The end of where our flesh takes us is always death. 
if we follow it. Spiritually and sometimes physically. So, back to the story of King Ahab. Why was King Ahab so willing to believe the lying spirit? Let's go back to 1 Kings 22, verse 39. So how did Ahab end up where he was, I should say, maybe? So we're just talking about how lusts take us to death. 1 Kings 22, verse 39. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house which he made, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Ahab was greedy. And he had lost Ramoth of Gilead. The Syrians had taken it from him. And he wasn't content with his ivory house. He wasn't content with all the cities that he had built. He wanted more. And he was not. He couldn't find contentment. He lusted for more. Greed and power. But he wasn't satisfied with what he had. Look at the progression. Ahab wants more. He wants to recapture Ramoth of Gilead, which was lust. This lust brought unbelief and disobedience, which led to his death. For another example of God's sovereignty over earthly affairs, let's turn to Acts 4, 27 and 28. Acts 4, 27 and 28. For, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Remember the death of Jesus. Did God force Herod and Pilate and the Romans and the Jews to kill Jesus? I don't think He did. No, He allowed them to do it. He allowed Satan and his forces to have their way, and he allowed wicked people to follow their own wicked lusts and desires, and through all those things done to destroy his kingdom, he set up his kingdom. Greatest victory of all time, Jesus' victory over sin and death, came because God allowed evil to do what it would do. It's hard for us to grasp this, this tension between light and darkness. How great is our God and His ways past finding out? James 1, verse 16. So God is sovereign over all that is happening. Does He tempt us? No. He allows Satan to do what Satan wants to do at times. James 1, verse 16. 
Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't let yourselves be led astray on this point. Evil and sin are Satan. God does not have anything to do with sin. He only allows satanic forces a small portion of what they're capable of. Think about this. What would our world be like if we, if satanic or Satan and his forces had complete control? Now there are places in this world where that's almost the truth. That's almost a reality. I think of Haiti. At one point, the, the country of Haiti was dedicated to the power of Satan. And look at what it has done. I mean, the country is so poor and so wrapped up in satanic worship. What about Harrisonburg? Are there places where Satan's power is greater? There's definitely lives that are so bound up in the power of Satan that the darkness is almost to extinguish any light. But it is in those places that God's light and power shine the brightest when it is seen. My challenge is to us, are we being the light in this dark world? Verse 17. James 1, verse 17. Every... And we'll, we'll go back and read verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So evil is anything which is against the very nature of God. He gave us all of Scripture to show us who He is and what His nature is so that we know how to be like Him. Anything that is against that nature is sin. He gave us a standard of right and wrong, light and darkness, according to the nature of who He is. And there's not even a hint of Him turning against Himself. He does not change. That's why we can look back at that story of Ahab in the Old Testament and see God was in a quandary. He wanted to do this, let this thing happen in Ahab's life. But he had no way of lying to these prophets to tempt Ahab. So he had to let Satan do it. So we see the nature of God in that story. God doesn't change. So God does not tempt us with evil, with the darkness. He only brings us light as we pursue Him. 1 John 1, 5, This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Life, well, I would like to make an, an, an analogy here. So in God is no darkness. He's the, he is light. As you think about the earth, I think God set us in a beautiful example. Almost all energy Everything that is alive in some form depends on the energy from the sun. Either 
gravity or heat, one of those two give energy to everything that is life on the earth. What we receive, what the earth receives from the sun, depends on how it relates to the sun. In other words, what environment we live in. So the further, if we take that into the spiritual realm, the further people are removed from God, removed from that light, the darker they have, they are. The darker their lives are. The closer we get to God, the more we receive from Him, the more our lives are fruitful. There's no goodness outside of God. Think about that. There's no... All goodness and light comes from God. If we're going to be God's light to the dark world around us, we must first be filled with Him so that He can shine through us. As we look at this question, does God tempt us? No. That is of Satan. God is light. He cannot be tempted with evil. If we want to reach the world around us, the only way for us to do that is to immerse ourselves in that light and to show others that light and to be the light of God to the world around us. Are we being that? Are we immersing ourselves in the light enough that the world around us sees God in, and, in us and through us. Our challenge, I guess, to, to congregation here at Mabel, what about those dark spots in Harrisonburg? We know some of them. And it is a challenge for us to take the time to share that light. I'm so thankful for what I see you all doing here. But light or darkness can never extinguish light. The closer we get to God, the more that light will shine. We just have to get it to the darkness, to eradicate the darkness in people's lives. God bless you as you are that light here in Harrisonburg.